Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, this episode of Enough About Me is episode, I don't know whatever it is, like 3,026. A couple of notes before we get to our guest. Um, First of all, so... uh, Excuse me, Jesus. A couple of years ago on my old show, um, Jerry Callahan and I um, would bring in, this is when we started bringing in like a third person, the very beginning of it, and we were trying everybody under the sun, and this guy Mark Dondero had come on, it sort of come on the scene at the press conferences with Belichick and asked him some sort of odd, goofy, sort of off-the-wall questions, and then we thought, this is kind of funny, like this is interesting that he's doing this and sort of mocking the whole process, which we were doing too. Um and talking to the media and all that stuff. So we said, let's bring him in. And we brought him in from 9 to 10, I think it was, on a Friday. And he was a fucking zomb, like a zero. He added nothing to the conversation. During the first break, yes, that's what time we got up in the morning. I thought, well, this is it. I don't think we need to do any more of this. And, um, you know, I kind of would watch him from a distance. A couple of days ago, I, I retweeted it. Go find it out. Go, go look it up. It's funny. He tweeted out a video. Um, of a bunch of media members in Boston, my town, Boston, reacting to the Celtics losing the series. And one of them is me. Uh, he had like a bald head on and he did this thing where it was just it was me on uh, Periscope. But he's like, yeah, I don't know um, when the show's coming back. And just mocking me, which was very, very well done. I thought it was really funny. So uh, keep an eye out on that one. The William Bendenson feedback is incredible. The Bendenson experience, the freight train that is William Bendenson Patriots uh, has taken over the city. Huge numbers on Friday for him. Uh, I think his social media is like doubled or tripled. We're going to have him on again soon. Don't worry about that. And then I had Mike Lombardi on yesterday. And so this was the rare time where some of the Minna fans struck back at me, which, listen, I'm trying to be less and less sensitive as I get older. Uh, But this one hurt my feelings a little bit. They said, oh, you saw you soft. You did a pussy interview with Lombardi. What are you doing? You know, why, why are you being nice to him after you killed him a couple of years ago? And my uh, my reaction to that was, so, like, three years ago, <clears throat> as I tweeted out, Lombardi and I had a fight on the air. It was me and Portnoy, and, and like I said, my old partner was on, and we fought, and we talked about, like, you listen to the podcast on Lombardi yesterday, you heard it. And I do think my reaction to Lombardi not answering my questions was over the top. Was it entertaining for the listeners? Yes. Would I do it again if it happened again? Probably I would. Do I think it was a manifestation of my anger at the station I was working at and was going on in my personal life with my parents who were both really sick at that time? Yes, uh, I think so. And like I said, I should have called Lombardi off the air. It built built every week because I think Lombardi wanted no part of somebody asking him tough questions. I will say this about Lombardi, and he's very nice. I'm glad he came on. Uh, It was a good sport, but he he doesn't want to have a conversation. Like He just wants to talk to you. He's a football guy, and you're not. He knows more football than you. Just sit there and deal with it. Um, I didn't want to do that interview anyway. I, I, I sort of got talked into having him on every week. I didn't want to do it. And my reaction to not wanting to do it was to be a fucking child and ruin it, which can be entertaining. Um, uh, I admit. So, <clears throat> so 
I decided to sabotage the whole thing as opposed to I probably could have called Lombardi or had my had, had one of the old producers give me his number. We could talk it out. Uh, but I elected not to do that. So I don't really even really regret it necessarily. But I thought it'd be interesting to hear from the perspective of somebody who was on the other side of it. Um, I think people were saying, oh, we're going to have mine every week now. Oh, you're a football. Like, no, I just I think it's who else would do that? That's all. Like, where else are you getting that? The side of the other guy and me saying, well, I, this is why I did it. And he said, well, this is what I thought. I just thought it was interesting because I don't think you're going to find it anywhere else. But what can you do? Um, <clears throat> one other thing before we get to before we set up my guest here. Um, so I saw Stern, uh, who obviously is my idol. I'm not going to pretend he's not. Um, has his book coming out. Is it is it tomorrow or is it next week? It might actually be tomorrow. <clears throat> um, Howard Stern comes again. That's called. It's a, it's a collection of his interviews. I have to admit, I don't have a lot of interest in it. Um, but he's been doing the sort of the uh, rounds here. I saw he was on Jane Pauley's CBS Sunday Morning Show. Hollywood Reporter, the New York Times did a long interview with him. So he's picking his spots. Like, you know, we tried for him, but he wasn't going to do anything with somebody like me. You know, he's going to have somebody, you know, he's got his friends now. He has his bubble, um, which is okay, I guess. You know, I understand it. But um, it's funny that the, the toughest, inter- you know, the old toughest interviewer of all time doesn't want to take a single tough question. That's okay. But uh, what I find interesting is not even Stern. Like, Stern has a narrative, and he's selling it out there. I've changed. I've evolved. Uh, I'm not the Howard Stern from 15, 20 years ago who would have strippers on and would, you know, call, would would, would judge, you know, have Miss Butterface contests and, you know, have uh, mothers and sons who are having sex with each other and all that stuff. Which, by the way, as a Stern, hardcore Stern fan, never particularly interests me, the stripper stuff. I didn't care about the grading the women's asses and boobs and all that. That, that the, the stuff that I liked about Stern was the inside radio stuff and the uh, drama within the show, which still interests me now, which we're going to do some of this week, by the way, with two idiots we're going to have on uh, later on this week who are going to fight about something stupid. I think I'm going to tape it tomorrow, which I'm half dreading. But anyway, um, so... Stern has now gone, and I guess the narrative is now that he's learned and he's gotten older. And I do understand that when you're 67 or whatever, 65, it's going to be different than when you're 35 or 45. I understand that. Um, But, you know, my biggest issue with Stern is that, not so much that, that's okay. But the idea that he is now, I think he's just, he was either lying 20 years ago or he's lying now. Like, he doesn't find Ellen DeGeneres entertaining. He doesn't find Jennifer Aniston to be funny or Charlize Theron. He had last week. I listened to five minutes of it. I wanted to fucking puke. He was just sitting there kissing their asses like, oh, and it was a dreadful interview. The kind of interview, that's the thing. That he was giving the kind of interview that the Stern of 95 would have played and mocked. He's become what he's mocked, and he can avoid that any way he wants. He can act like that's not true, but it is true. Uh, he's become what he would once just ruthlessly and hilariously make fun of he's become a little teddy bear and you know except and i'll get to for a second about three weeks ago so jane Pauley and fucking whoever sit there and kiss his ass and they talk about how he's evolved and this isn't stern's fault this is the media's fault now and about how he's changed and he had a cancer scare and and, and he appreciates now that that he shouldn't be angry and he shouldn't be mean to people three weeks ago he went on a rant that he's since taken down where he called wendy williams uh the c-word repeatedly called her a rock face and said she pisses standing up, which to me suggests that she has a penis. Uh, about in 2019, 
um, calling somebody the c word and saying that they're you know uh, uh, have a have a penis if you're a woman. It's about, it's about as angry and hate filled as you can do. I mean, like you know, if you're on the radio and you had that rant in any form or fashion, you would be out of your job. But they all ignore that because they like this idea of a softer, cuddlier Howard Stern. And it's just a, another miss on the media's part. And I find that to be interesting. And Stern is now just a brand. Like he is, he wants to have people like Carol Burnett on and talk about how much he laughed at, you know, her and Tim Conway, which, you know, 20 years earlier, he was doing bits on how lousy it was. So, I, you know, that, that to me is the more interesting thing about Stern is he's just full of shit now. And he likes being soft and being friends with Jimmy Kimmel. And that's okay. He's always craved that. But, you know, he's fucking terrible now. Like, the show is awful. If the show was on the radio in Boston, well, there are some morning shows that would still be better than, obviously. But if it was on the morning, if it was on the mornings, like, in the, nobody, if it was a brand new show, people would say, this show sucks. Who is this guy? You know, he's no different now. He's like an older Ryan Seacrest. That's really what he is. And uh, that's okay. But, you know, you can't pretend that you've changed when underneath it all, you're as hateful as ever, but I guess you can when the media ignores it. So anyway, those are the couple of things that interest me. Um, got some tweets about that podcast cold that I've been talking up. Uh, I know Moroso has been in contact with the creator of that, and he did an unbelievable job, this guy Dave Colley. I think we're going to have him on next week. Some other guests this week as well. Today we have on Madeline Woods, the class of 2019 at Harvard University. Um, <clears throat> so this... this uh, we had, on the old show I was on, we had uh, uh, this Professor Sullivan, Ronald Sullivan, on uh, when he represented Aaron Hernandez and claimed Hernandez was innocent. Innocent. I think we had him on Patriots Day, like the day, the Monday after he had been acquitted of the second, uh, in the second trial and a couple of days before he killed himself. We had Sullivan on. Um, and he was good. We had him on for 20 minutes. He was an excellent guest, uh, and he represents people like that. And, and, and somebody he's representing right now is Harvey Weinstein, um, or was representing Harvey Weinstein. Uh, and so the headline over the weekend was that he had been removed from his post as a dean, um, not 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 taken away from the law school, but but the dean. We'll get into what that is specifically with Madeline in a second. And I, and and all over the country, and I fell victim to this as well. And I listen, I may be a part of it. Is you know, hey. This this lawyer represents uh, Harvey Weinstein and a bunch of lefty lunatic Harvard people want to bring him down and you know screw the Sixth Amendment or whatever and you know who cares we blah, blah, blah. and not quite the case and you know Madeline Woods came on a lot of people we contacted a lot of people who didn't want to come on and face the music she did and I think she does a really good job she's a smart kid she goes to Harvard she just uh, really does a good job outlining why and she lived at this Winthrop. Uh, 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 lived at Winthrop with, with Sullivan there represents why on her end why they wanted Sullivan out and the Weinstein thing according to her is not a factor at all when she goes into the things that Sullivan has done I think it's easier to understand to somebody on the outside why they wouldn't want this guy uh, as their as as the, as, as the person basically the, the proctor basically the person that they have to go to in these situations and she lays out situations where people are victims she's a sexual assault victim herself Sexual assault victims were essentially laughed out of the room by Sullivan and his wife. Well, you know, if that's the case, then good. I'm glad he's gone. And I wouldn't have known that without having her on having this conversation. Uh, as I told her at the end of the interview, we did the interview first and then I taped this. You know, I was looking to bring somebody on to, to yell about and fight about over this, this story. But she did a really good job making her case uh, to why Sullivan should have been removed. It's sort of a story that was all over the country over the weekend. And I haven't really heard this side, this case articulated very well. She does a good job of it. Uh, Madeline Woods, who joins me right now on Enough About Me.
All right, so I went over the stuff with Ronald Sullivan in the open. And as I said, Sullivan had been a guest on my old radio show before when he represented Aaron Hernandez. So now a bunch of students called on him uh, to be removed uh, from his post, and he was. And one of those students uh, joins me right now, Madeline Woods, class of 19. Are you technically a graduate now? Yeah, well, not yet. Um, graduation will be in a few weeks. Okay, what are you going to do after that? Um, I got a fellowship to Cambridge University. So you're going to do, no, you're just going to continue to be a student for the rest of your life and never do any actual work? That's a good strategy. <laughs> I would do I would do that. That's smart. Yeah, I mean, it seems pretty good already. Right. I think that's what academia is, actually. Yes. Um, but <laughs> that's good. You'll be. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. So, so walk me through this. So the headlines, when I saw them this weekend and the outrage on the right, of which I sometimes participate in, sort of, mm-hmm. it seemed to me that, you know, uh, Sullivan was removed and wiped out of Harvard because he agreed to represent Weinstein. So I, my understanding, when I first saw the headline was he's you know no longer at Harvard at all in any capacity um, because he was doing what seemed to me to be his obviously perfectly legal right in the Sixth Amendment is, you know, everybody's entitled. I don't care if you're Harvey Weinstein is obviously a creep or somebody who's innocent. You deserve representation, right? So walk oh, yeah. me walk me through where the issues are with a bunch of students at Harvard. I'm looking at these pictures here in the crimson of the people with their mouths covered in the me too pictures where 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 am i wrong what am i missing in this whole story yeah no of course um i think that's a pretty common misconception of course uh when you get a headline that has heart uh harvard and weinstein <laughs> right it looks pretty good but um so yeah i want to make that clear uh our issue was never with due process also we understand that lawyers are not extensions of their clients so we, Ron is not a rapist or someone who has sexual assault. However, um, he is uh, a faculty dean, and people from the outside tend to not know what that position really means. All right, so he, so uh, he continues. So, he, so I'm sorry, Matt. So he continues to be. He is still at Harvard. Uh, he's still a, oh, yeah. employed by Harvard uh, University. Yes, but yes, he's no he's longer. Faculty. He's no longer a faculty dean, which is what. So he's still at the law school. Mm-hmm. A faculty dean is um, a head of the house. So 96% of students stay in the house system. And uh, the house is really a home. It's a close-knit community um, within the context of the college scene. And uh, they're in charge of programming, events. But also importantly, they handle um, issues with students, including sexual assault. So, you know, the misconception is that this is about Weinstein. Well, Weinstein initially is what kind of called attention to this. It's actually his comments on, uh, there was another case where an economics professor at Harvard was accused of sexual harassment, um, the Fryer case. And uh, within that, he's not even a lawyer in that case, but he called the Title IX investigation deeply flawed. And and this is a quote, um, It this case quote, shows what the current Me Too movement, some blood in the water, and good coaching of witnesses can produce. So that, that was um, <laughs> the big issue um, because, you know, Title IX, for people who aren't familiar, it's a federal civil rights law, mm-hmm. 1972, um, and that basically protects against gender-based discrimination in education and the workplace, um, which then requires schools if there is... Uh, if a student experiences something like sexual assault, a uh, school is kind of tasked with stopping discrimination, preventing its reoccurrence, and addressing its effects. Uh, so 
you know, you can imagine when you have a faculty dean who's kind of, uh, this is a strange media reference, but uh, he's kind of like the Dumbledore of the house. When you have someone that you look to as a pastoral um, kind of pseudo-parental figure, um, you know, kind of say that the Me Too movement and Title IX investigations are flawed, Imagine how a young girl who's been sexually assaulted would feel um, pretty uncomfortable coming to report her assault to that person whose whose job is to protect them under Title IX and walk them through Title IX. So really it was the, you know, um, Weinstein got the attention and kind of put this under the scrutiny of undergrads, but it was his comments on the Friar case. Um, And then I'm not sure if you've looked at any other headlines. There's also a very long history of, uh, leadership problems and what looks like uh, kind of staff abuse and discrimination as well. So, so those are the main issues. So, I guess you know, my question is, you know, is was this particular one that he's the person he's he's defending? Was it in fact flawed? I mean, I think part of the problem with Me Too is and is as important as it's been. It's been you know great to see people stand up and bring down a lot of these creeps, whether it's Weinstein or Spacey or p- pick whomever, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Epstein, whoever, all, all these people, Matt Lauer, great. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I do think, you know, don't you have to see my, where, I, where I come to some, not reckoning, but uh, uh, maybe across in the road is I think there is now this willingness to believe a victim every single time with no investigation. Like right away, it's guilty, guilty, guilty. There has to be a place, I think, in society where we take a pause, we look at it and say, well, there are two sides of the story. I, I mean, that seems to me to be a reasonable way to look at it, no? Oh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean... You know, Harvard students were kind of uh, called uh, privileged snowflakes, but I I come from (laughs) a blue-collar working family from rural Colorado. I went to a small school, so I I completely understand kind of the concerns of the wider United States looking at how Harvard handles things or even the Me Too movement. And, you know, that is the point of the justice system, right? We, We have to look at the evidence and look at the process. However, Title IX, you know, the case in Manhattan with Weinstein will go to court, and we support that. He needs a vigorous defense, um, and if that includes a lawyer who works at Harvard, that's fine. But if that lawyer is also a pastoral figure who um, has disparaged you know, a Title IX process, by which he is supposed to support by working for the university, then that's an issue. Um, and every Title IX case is different, but it's been in place since 1972, and you know students really have nowhere else to go. You can say the process is flawed, um, and I think people are working to make it better all the time. But I mean that's that's all you really have. So uh, to disparage that leaves kind of people with you know nowhere else to go. Well, just repeat to me real quick how he how he disparaged Title IX. I understand he defended them, but what was his particular comments about Title IX? Yes. Um, he called the investigation deeply flawed, and then the larger context, he said, um, uh, this investigation, a Title IX investigation, shows what the current Me Too movement, some blood in the water, and good coaching of witnesses can produce. Well, is there any accuracy to those accusations? I mean, were any witnesses coached? Was there, is it a flawed case? Is it a flawed investigation? I mean, if he's a lawyer it's asking still, questions... going. Um, right, but I mean, so I guess, ongoing. so Madeline, I guess my point is, though, you know, if you're a lawyer... And you're asking so so. Let's just say you live. So people live. He lives as a dean in the house where students are. Is that what's going on or no? Yes, I, and I'm a, I'm a student in that house. Okay, so you you were in the same place as he was, correct? Yeah. Okay. Did you ever feel like you couldn't talk to him about something, or he was somebody who 
would, let's just say you were sexually assaulted, right? And you went to him. Did you feel that was preventative? Did you feel like you couldn't tell him that? That, that, that he's somebody who wouldn't yeah. be? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Really, really. So I live in the house and actually, um, I'll speak to this, it was quoted. So, so I am a sexual assault survivor. Um, okay. And, you know, it, it, it's tricky. Uh, when, you, when we went to, so we had office hours about this, you know, mm-hmm. when they bring us in. And it was very hostile. People were laughed out of the office hours, clapped at. Um, by by him. Point that, um, by him and his wife. Yeah. They would yeah, laugh. They would, so, so you, it's, I mean, this is a pretty, and I'm sorry that you went through what you went through. This is a, this is a no, pretty serious know. accusation. That So you would go in there, not you, but somebody would go in who was a victim of, of potential of sexual assault, and he and his wife would laugh those people out of the room? Yeah, there, there's a case where for one person that occurred. Okay. And, and, and in another case, there was an activist, um, who was sued by tutors who are our versions of our A's and literally compared to by those tutors um, to a terrorist, to the bomber. She was directly compared to the 16th Street Baptist Church bomber who killed four children in the 60s. So um, <laughs> I'm confused. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting so who so who the tutors for tutors for the school tutors for students yes. were compared to bombers by the Sullivans. Um, no, 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 no. I'm um, confused. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I, I, so I tutors are um, our version of RAs who oh, work within okay. the house. Yep. So they're employees of the Sullivans. Okay, They've been sure. known to support the Sullivans. And over a confrontation um, that was sparked, you know, over tensions on this case, um, this woman, an undergraduate, um, was then compared <laughs> by the tutors for... Um, I got you. To be the 16th Street Baptist. I got you. I got you. Know, I got you. Saying I got you. that, you know, you've, you've come into our house and you've made us, you know, feel unsafe in our house and then compared her directly to that bomber. Um, and this is a undergraduate woman of color, uh, so who's also a refugee. So why yeah. why has this been, and maybe you're not the person to answer this, maybe somebody mm-hmm. else's, why has this message been, so like, you know, I think you, I'm sure you've seen on Twitter and on social media, the headline right. is, like I said, it is. You know, extreme. You know, left-wing Harvard and the and the Looney Tune <laughs> communist students. I'm not sure I disagree with any of that. Get together and 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 decide to to bring down. You know, the first black um, uh, uh, dean right at Harvard and his and his and his yeah. wife over uh, the fact that he's representing Harvey Weinstein. You're telling me a different story. How what what has happened in, in the who who is who is screwed up that the message has not been articulated properly. Well, I think it just makes a good headline. Um, <laughs> you know what you just said that that you know you can get a lot of retweets on that and get a lot of reads. Um, that's not the full story, of course. You know, Weinstein is what brought the Sullivans under Greitner undergraduate scrutiny. But the, he's the issues. The reason he was ultimately removed has nothing to do with Weinstein. Right. Um, and it really, you know, it has to do with tensions within the house in the past few months. And. Again, I don't know if you've looked up, there's been a long history of um, staff complaints of leadership. So, mm-hmm. for instance, there, there's another position within the House called the House Administrator. You know, the faculty deans are a figurehead, but the House Administrator does most of the work. In every other house, the average tenure for Harvard Administrator is 10 years. In Winthrop, under the Sullivan, the average has been 10 months. How long has he been there for? Is He's it, been here 10 years. As, yes. as, as a dean? As a dean. Okay, 10 years. And the and average one's been time, 10 months. Had, um, the average for house administrator has been 11 months. 
Okay. And I, I believe three have come forward with emotional abuse claims. So it's, it, and you can read the article. It's, it's really great. It's called the with us or against us. It's in the crimson. So, so those are the issues. I think, you know, if you, if you take a quick glance at it from afar, that, that is what it looks like. You know, the, um, what sparked the scrutiny was the Weinstein case, but at the end of the day, that's not that issue because also, you know, I think people have thought that they've been demonized here. And, you know, as one of the students who's been um, pretty active, the Sullivans have done a lot of good work for some people in the house. They're, they are the first African-American deans, which is an amazing thing. And we shouldn't forget that. However, over the past decade, um, culminating in these last few very tense months, they've also made a lot of mistakes. And like any job, you have to be accountable to your mistakes. And I think they've been held accountable by the college. What was your, did you have any specific, you know, tough moments with, um, with, uh, with, with either Sullivan or, or, or his wife? I mean, were there any moments where they specifically said things to you? You said, you know, this is, I, I, this is not, this is inappropriate that you wanted to go forward and talk about? Um, not directly. No, what's, I mean, there was some right, what's the worst? Good. Good. No, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So there were some emails sent out um, from them discussing the case. And in those emails, you know, it was the usual, uh, you know, the straw man was set up that was that this was about due process. Again, I want to make it very clear that no one is against due process. That's like a very simple thing, and we're very supportive of that. However, just the idea that we wanted to have a conversation about this and how it would affect students, we were immediately portrayed as, I mean, there's quotes you know, the mob, um, there was kind of the insinuation that you are the enemy of uh, discussion and other points of view, which I think is just wrong and really kind of led to this tense situation in which an undergraduate was threatened to be sued. There's those same tutors are actually suing another uh, faculty dean from a different house for defamation. So it's just gotten so messy. And again, I, I don't think it had to be this way. Um, you know, the, the questions were asked initially, and, you know, this kind of lifted the veil on other leadership problems in the House that had been going on for years. But, you know, if they'd uh, let people know that they were taking this case early on, no one knew um, in the administration. I, I think this could have been... And, even if they'd handled it differently just to kind of listen to students and their concerns as opposed to immediately shutting down and immediately kind of using due process as a shield, I think this could have been really avoided. But um, this is where we're at now, and the college has made a decision, and a lot of people feel, quite frankly, relieved, myself included. So he's, he's Fry, is he, he is one of Fryer's lawyers as well? Uh, so that, that's tricky. In the, in the um, account where these quotes come from he it's was a, referenced the, as a lawyer the story i read was the real not, real it's come out that he's not a lawyer okay i read the real clear investigations story that said he yeah. was his lawyer so he's okay so he's not and then he said he's not a lawyer yeah for but, the friar well he's not friar's lawyer kind of makes it more damning because he had no reason to make those you know you could kind of say oh i made those comments to support my client that's not actually how i feel but in this case he wasn't a lawyer so that you kind of have to assume that is just genuinely how he feels is there any proof at all i mean he basically mm-hmm. accused them the 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 students involved in the fry investigation of being coached is there any proof that that happened no no proof not that i'm aware of and you find that i would imagine i'm speaking for you that you've articulated that you find that to be far more disturbing that accusation than the fact that he's representing weinstein 
I would guess, right? Yeah, of course. That, that's, you know, having that thrown at you when women for years, my, myself included, you know, this um, didn't happen to me when I was in college, but, you know, the, the accusation that, oh, you're making this up or, oh, it's not true or, oh, I'm not sure it happened the way you said it did. That, that's a long narrative that's been very harmful. So, yeah, that that is the main issue we had. And, and again, as a student, if you, a student was sexually assaulted while, while here, to come to a person who, you know, kind of questions the validity of sexual assault claims, you know, you already feel like you're losing your... Well, I think it's, account. yeah, no, I think it's more, right, and so, so and, I'm, and I'm glad you're telling me this, because I, I find that to be much more, so you're, you know, you've been a victim of it, yeah. and it's a terrible thing, but let's say it happened to you six months ago, and you knew this was going on, the stuff with Fryer was going on, that I can understand at that point, where you would say, geez, why, I mean, why would I tell this person that? I mean, he's not, yeah, you know, he, that, he's not. That would be a huge issue, because there's been a history at Harvard, especially, of issues of sexual assault. I mean, the hunting ground, I think that's why the college has kind of come down. And, you know, the college is so funny. They've, they've made wild mistakes, you know, where they, they um, sanction single-sex organizations to help sexual assault, but then, you know, they won't beef up their Title IX and you can't get a rape kit at their uh, health services. So yeah, there's a lot of issues with Harvard, don't worry, <laughs> sexual assault, but I think this is just, you know, kind of part of that. So I'm happy they're finally taking action on something that real. I sometimes wonder if it's so, you know, I'm 44-year-old white guy, right? And I and yeah. when, when Me Too broke out, I was on the radio a couple of years ago and I have to admit I was gobsmacked, not the idea that these guys were were creeps or perverts. Like we had heard about some of these people like Spacey for years, even Matt Lauer a little bit. But the amount mm-hmm. of people and we would take call after call from women in workplaces who were like, I don't know why you guys are acting like this is a big surprise. Every me all my friends, this has happened to everyone. And, and I have to admit, like, and I guess shame on me to some extent, I was totally blindsided by the the volume of which it has happened. I wonder if the people in Harvard who are still in power, I guess, are probably still mostly older white guys, like everywhere else, and their head is probably buried in the sand over this stuff. And when shit happens where they don't know how to handle it, stuff like this is what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to explain something... Uh, to people when it hasn't directly happened to them. So I, I think that is the bonus of the Me Too movement. Of course, like you said at the beginning, with anything that comes to justice, we, we have to look at the evidence. So we always kind of have to take a moment to see if something's credible. Uh, but the fact that there's such volume is not that this is new or that witnesses are being coached. It's just that this has been happening all along and people haven't felt able to speak to it, which I think that's why the Me Too movement is so important, because people now feel like they'll be believed, or at the very least, listened to. Well, I think the, the other irony is, I just had this him on maybe three weeks ago, is if I said to you, who's the most famous professor at Harvard University, who'd you say? Oh, gosh. Oh, I mean, even Pinker, maybe Alan Dershowitz, I would say. Oh God! Yeah. Right. So <laughs> as this as this goes on, right, and you guys do your thing with, yeah. with Sullivan, Dershowitz, who is probably the most famous lawyer, maybe in the second half of the 20th century. I, like I said, I had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. He came yeah. on and defended himself strongly about the uh, accusations. He represented somebody uh, who was j- every bit as much in Weinstein's class and Jeffrey Epstein, right, and was oh, yeah. by the way himself Dershowitz accused of rape by several women. So I wonder, you know, as Sullivan gets taken away from this post, I wonder what's going to go on with him. What is the movement, if any, toward Dershowitz from the student body? Is there any? I I don't think so. I mean, obviously people 
view him with a bit of hesitation because of those accusations. But I think this really drives home clear that the issue is not about Weinstein. It's not about due process because we're not coming after him. When you're in an academic position, um, a solely academic position, and you're not in charge of handling Title IX, um, then, of course, you're a defense lawyer. What you're supposed to do is defend probably not great people. If everyone were wonderful, we wouldn't need defense lawyers. So um, I really don't see, unless something comes of, you know, accusations against him as an individual, maybe. Well, there have been. I mean, there have been against Dershowitz. Yes, of course. If something, you know, if something more comes of that, then potentially, because you don't want rapists, you know, on your payroll or as a professor, but um, just him as a lawyer defending, you know, people that the rest of America or the rest of humanity doesn't view as a great person, that, that's not the issue. Because, again, everyone, no matter how deplorable, is, uh, has the right to a vigorous defense. That being and said, that being... fully support that. The only issue is when that comes in conflict with um, the lives of students mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, when it, when it presents a conflict of interest. That's the only issue there. That being said, so let's say Sullivan <clears throat> was, you know, the, the greatest guy in the world to you guys. There's none of the other stories at all. None of the other stuff had happened. You all loved him. Yeah. And he's a lawyer, and one day he decides to represent Weinstein. Do you feel like it was his duty, like, like I said, even if he was the greatest guy in the world, to let mm-hmm. to let you let the the women know the females in the building know hey I'm going to do this and here's why I'm doing it yeah yeah I do um, because you know there there's issues where the trauma kind of follows you around and I, there's a lot of uh, resources on campus where if he'd alerted them I think they could have been there immediately it would have showed that he you know he values his job as a defense lawyer but he also values his job as someone in charge of students, that that is our only issue here. This decision and the lack of warning and then the lack of care afterwards showed us that he values his position as a lawyer much more than he values his decision, um, his position as a faculty dean, and that was one of the main issues. So, yeah, if he had, if nothing else had happened and he had been the best faculty dean and he had warned people, I, again, don't think there would have been as much issue. Some people might have been uncomfortable, of course. I can't speak for everyone. It, it will be hard, admittedly, to see um, someone you look up to uh, questioning, grilling witnesses on a stand who, you know, as someone who's survived sexual assault, kind of reminds you of yourself. Uh, that will be rough. Um, it wasn't just the decision, but the case. Um, and now he stepped away, of course, so mm-hmm. we don't have to... Um, deal with that but there has um, to be but there has to be a place in society you agree mm-hmm. for a lawyer to do his natural job of just questioning things i mean there has to be absolutely. that has to exist absolutely that that is a cornerstone of why this country is great and um of law of justice and absolutely no one in this movement has ever questioned the right to due process the only issue has been um his other comments of leadership issues in the house well, I would say the laughing, the laughing, the the laughing, the accusers out of a room is it would be a concern for me. Yeah, you know that 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 that's sort of my biggest hook. I I, did, I didn't know that. Do you consider yourself a, a feminist? Uh, I consider myself a feminist in the way that it's defined <laughs> that just for equality. Yes. What that means equality? Is that what you said? Yeah. Does the <clears throat> does the does the Me Too movement, does the, is there anything about it that gives you pause? I mean, like I said, there's a lot of good things about it, but is there anything about it that 
concerns you or are you are you I mean are you, put it this way and having been the victim yourself do you believe the victim the, the accuser right away like are you blinded by the what you have gone through and that is sort of bias you to the point that you're going to believe them no matter what no you can't no do that. well I don't know I mean it'd be perfectly yeah. natural given no, what you've been through I just don't I, I, I'm, I'm curious about yeah, the, the thought a, process completely fair question of course I I tend to view them with empathy and I try to hear them out because I understand that until the past few years in this movement that wouldn't have been possible but of course you always have to like there, there's a reason there's a trial, right? And it is to question them and to push for evidence. And that has to exist. Should we listen to them and not immediately demonize them, no matter how beloved the person they're accusing is? Yes, they should be treated with respect, despite who they're accusing. Um, but of course, you also have to view it with through the mind of justice. You can't just immediately believe someone. Well, wait, you, you, you were, were you a assault victim in high school? Um, younger, younger. Oh, geez. Well, I'm, oh, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jesus. Um, uh, I don't know how specific you want to get into. It. I mean, when you was it a family member? Um, extended. Yeah. Extended family member. Okay. Do you feel like? Well, you were so young. I guess the question. So, if it had happened while you were in high school, do you feel more emboldened now? Say, even three or four years later, that you might be more likely to come forward because of the Me Too movement than even say when you were freshman versus now. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's. I mean, listen. That's that's one of the great things from it, right? I mean, at least people will, well, they won't sit there and oh, oh that's ugh, ugh. I just hate, you know. And the other thing is, and I, I get on this high horse all the time because I, I battle it. Is so much of it is, you know, and whoever did this to you, some of these people are so mentally ill, and they're just mm-hmm. so ignored for years and they're not treated, and they're and they're and they're sort of, you know, it's easier just not to deal with them, and then they do these horrible things, and it's just you know, it's just this this endless cycle that I, I fear sometimes, even with the me Too movement is not going to slow down until the mental health stigma is somehow acknowledged and taken care of. I completely agree with that. Um, and I think that's why we need to, you know, start when people are young. That's why education on seeing the signs of someone who might do this and um, kind of nipping it in the bud is important. And then just, yeah, supporting one another. I think there's a lot of people who are, hurting or people who come to power and kind of feel like they can control other people in this way. I think that's what we see in the Weinstein case and others. Um, so yeah, I, I think the Me Too movement is past preventative and I think it's important, but if we can start exactly looking at mental health and looking at the signs, that's really where we want to move to. Cause we don't want to move to justice for survivors or victims. We, if we can get to the point where there are, fewer survivors in the first place then i think that's the end goal so what is your so you you go go to cambridge then what are you what are you going to do with your life what's your what's your future here (laughs) um i'm thinking uh medical research so i work with uh, medicinal plants um and yeah either medical research or uh writing academia but yeah something to help people out would be great well good um Good. That's great. I'm still an idealist. I'm still in college. Yes, that will end. So that don't will, ruin it. Believe for me, me that will end. That will end swiftly and ugly. And but you'll you'll be fine. I could tell. Even for a Harvard commie socialist, you know, hippie, you're you're okay. Yeah, you, I, I you, I'm an, I'm a fan, Madeline. And I, uh, and I appreciate you. It takes a lot of guts, first of all, to go through what you've gone through and still talk about. It. And I do appreciate. So you know, I saw the headline and I I texted my producer and I was like, let's bring one of these one of these lefty loons on and just, and just, you know, destroy them over this stupid thing. But then I started reading about it and said, okay, there's more. I, again, I thought it was quite simply 
they objected to a guy who was defending somebody in court, which drove me crazy. I mean, which, you know, yeah, is natural. I completely agree. And I, appreci- and I appreciate you coming on and articulating uh, your side. And good, look at, good luck with everything going forward. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me on. Again, just like you said, a lot of the headlines are pretty sensationalist. So thank you for kind of doing the good journalistic that's all. That's always that's always me. Look me up. You'll find it. And good luck with your uh, your future with plants and uh, academia. It sounds uh, it sounds exciting. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right, Madeline. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. If you haven't already, I don't know why you haven't, but if you have not, remember to subscribe to this podcast. Enough about me on the Radio.com app, iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher iTunes ratings and reviews help me and the podcast, so take a minute and leave one, please. It actually helps. I know it's a pain in the ass. It's a waste of time. That's what you're thinking, but it actually isn't. It actually helps me, keeps me going so I can do this podcast, okay, so I can live. You're going to help me stay alive if you subscribe, so do it. All right, dummies, get to work. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.